This is Shack Talk, presented by Eskimo Ice Fishing Gear and hosted by Kyle Agri and Anthony Kleinwachter. Turn up your speakers, grab your gear, and hit the ice with us as we talk ice fishing. Come on in, grab a bucket, and have a seat. We're talking ice fishing here on Shack Talk Ice Fishing Podcast. This is Kyle Agri with Anthony Kleinwachter. And uh, back for episode three of this season and really excited for what we're going to be talking about today. We are just privileged to be able to uh, welcome to this first segment of our podcast today, uh, Matt Mascarinas. He is a, uh, he's a, he's a fanatic outdoor fisherman. He is uh, the host of the Outdoor Ed podcast. If you have not listened to that uh, piece, make sure you go out and find that one as well because it's good Really, really good stuff. He uh, lives in Thornton, Colorado, just north and maybe just a tish west of Denver. Um, and he has the absolute just, I'm envious, is what I'm going to say, of what he gets to see every day when he opens his eyes and, and, and pulls the curtains back on his windows because he is right there at the foothills of the Rocky Mountains. And we're going to talk a little ice fishing up in the higher elevations today. Matt, welcome to Shack Talk. Hey, how's it going, gentlemen? It's going fantastic, and I have a feeling that uh, after we have a chance to visit with you for a little bit here now, uh, Matt, we're going to be uh, we're going to be itching to head west and hook up the horses and head on up to those high elevations and and get some ice fishing. Yeah, definitely. It um, it we have a very unique opportunity here in Colorado with this high elevation, and even in the Rocky Mountain region, because you can kind of uh, do some of these things in Wyoming in parts of Utah as well, but especially here in Colorado, I have a great opportunity to be out in the boat one weekend and then keep an eye on some temperatures up at uh, high elevations. And I'm, I'm usually looking at 9,000 feet or and above. And if those temperatures stay, stay at a consistent level of where I can, can, where I can be confident that there might be some ice up there in some of those bodies of water, I can uh, put the boat away and, and grab, uh, you know, an auger or maybe even just a, a redneck chisel and uh and go light and go to try to catch some fish matt when does your season typically start what time frame are you looking at for when these you know seasons are really changing how soon do you guys get out on the ice over there uh we here it can it can happen as soon as mid-october uh if we get the right conditions and and what those right conditions can consist of is cold weather and uh, continuous cold weather and we, we had that here this year where we had, even here on the front range, and when I mean the front range, like you, like you guys mentioned, I'm right against the Rocky Mountains. So everything that, that you can uh, kind of uh, get the wind off of the Rocky Mountains uh, is what I consider the front range. And we can run into, uh, we had temperatures that were in the single digits uh, in the morning that we typically don't run into those pro- or, or see those kind of temperatures in mid-October. And that created a lot of great opportunities to get on some early ice in the high country and to even uh, let us get on some bodies of water that we typically don't get on until December. So if we have the right conditions, we can be on ice as uh, early as mid mid to late October. But what we kind of typically do is is, uh, is a good kind of a, a frame of reference is that this Thanksgiving, coming up Thanksgiving weekend, is when I usually try to go hit some inlets uh, up in the high country. Uh, and, and I'm looking at, at those higher elevations, you know, those, those up above eight to seven to eight to nine thousand feet. And if the conditions are right and we don't have a lot of snow, uh, I'll even go a little bit higher than that. But typically we look to get on ice right around this weekend of Thanksgiving weekend. That's really cool, Matt. And just my, my mind and the curiosity here is kind of racing and, and I don't want to get ahead of myself. But nine thousand feet was the mark you kind of referenced. And I think many of us know you know, where Denver's located, how far, like you get in your truck, how far are you going to, to reach that, um, high elevation, early season ice, uh, location? Uh, I mean, if I, I jump in my truck and I can be at that elevation, uh, and, and, it, and typically in Colorado, you got your main, your main arteries of highways, I-70 corridor, and then I-25, I-70 is going up into the high country, in the mountains. And uh, I could be on I-70 and, and heading to uh, one of these lakes within, within an hour, hour and a half at the most, if the conditions are right. And, uh, and I mean road conditions and stuff like that. If we don't got a lot of snow, I can be there an hour, an hour and a half. 
uh, one of these bodies of water that we're going to talk about today is is uh, typically a two-hour drive, and that's not bad because the drive up there, if you've if you've been to the Rocky Mountains or driven through through Colorado, driven through the high country, it's gorgeous. Just the drive there is worth is worth all that time sitting in the truck. No, you're right about that. No question. Just uh, just getting from point A to point B is certainly worth the price of admission over in uh, in that part of the world. Something we don't know a lot about here in the, the flatlands of uh, North Dakota. Um, <laughs> but, Matt, as as we look, you mentioned if conditions are right. So you're there. You're at home in Thornton. You're, you're in the Denver area. And you're trying to look at what those temperatures are up in those high country lakes. Are, are there lodges? Are there outfitters? Are there reports from those areas that you can rely on before you actually hop in your truck and make a two-hour trek up into the mountains? Yeah, yeah. We, I, I try to pay a lot of attention to social media. There's a, there's a, I, I utilize that as much as I can, whether it's Facebook, um, Twitter, uh, and Instagram in some cases. But I, I like to look at the U.S. Uh, Forest Service. A lot of these these uh, these lakes that in these these higher elevation lakes and bodies of water are managed in the U.S. Forest Service. So if uh, I can get and follow them, follow their page, and they they post constant updates on conditions, road conditions. They might even have a camera. I look at CDOT cameras uh, and I watch to see what the road conditions are looking like up there. I maybe even look and call some areas um, uh, up and up and down the highway. I use the CDOT app on my phone a lot, and the CDOT is. Is that is in charge of the um, you know the the traffic and, and in charge of the roads and everything like that. So I use that app quite a bit. But I also social media is a really really good tool that I utilize to keep an eye on uh, on the changes uh, and the the conditions that um, that are always ever changing. And like for example, this week I was planning to go up there this weekend, and um, I looked and uh, I saw that there was a lot of wind and a lot of blowing snow. So it, that was going to make my drive pretty tough if I got up there these higher elevations. So I utilize a lot of those tools to uh, really keep an eye on those conditions up there and it helps you make a better decision to stay safe because that's, that's kind of like uh, also uh, the blessing of having these opportunities here, but there's also the burden of it is that we have all these opportunities, but then the weather can really, really just make it, make it uh, uh, hard to access these places up in the high elevations. We're always at the mercy of Mother Nature, and, and I yeah. think we are spoiled with the, the technology and the social media tools. I think it's something that, whether you're in Colorado or in the Midwest, I mean, utilizing those tools, I mean, I don't know how often I'm looking to look for destinations, look for ice conditions, find out where people are going. I think it's a great tool um, to be able to figure out where you want to go. I mean, at a drop of a hat, you can see a hot fishing report, and you can be there in a handful of hours. So we're really spoiled when it comes to that. For the lakes that you fish, what are you primarily targeting out there? Uh, we'll, the, the most prominent uh, fish that we target up there are rainbows, cutthroats, and, um, and a lot of, uh, and brown trout in some, some situations. Uh, those are going to be your prominent lake, or fish that are going to be up in these lakes. Uh, you will have some that, um, that have, uh, we can go target, uh, Tiger trout, we can target grayling. Grayling is a great opportunity, and there's a lake wow. that uh, that that we yeah. And and grayling are uh, I don't know if you guys ever ever caught a grayling, but they're really really neat fish and a really uh, one to definitely chalk off or check off your list of ice fishing or fish to catch through the ice is, is grayling. And then also we have lake trout opportunities at those too. So. It's going to be a lot of those trout species, those colder water uh, species that we target the most. And we're not – this time of year, it's, there's not a lot of – it's not the trophy game. Uh, th these fish, they're not getting really big because of the growing conditions and the, and, and the conditions that they have to live in. They're not getting really, really big, but they are gorgeous, some of the colors. And if you time it right, like this year, like we had this year, you can get some of these fish that are looking – that are still wearing their spawning colors, and they look gorgeous. Well, I tell you what, Matt uh... – a tiger trout, a grayling, not to mention some of the other ones you mentioned, but those two alone, just holding one in hand, you know, and, and seeing one firsthand would be worth, I mean, that is a trophy is what I'm saying. I don't care what size it is. That That's a trophy in and of itself just to catch one. Oh, for sure. For sure it is. And I mean, to hold that fin, even if you get one, you, and I'm talking about a grayling, you, you catch one that's that's 12 plus inches. And that's a that's a good fish. That's a big fish that, that we can hold here in the in the states. Obviously, you go to Alaska or a place like that, they can get a lot much bigger than that. But here, 
to hold a fish like that and to see that fin flail out and just the, the, the whole beauty of it and everything. It's, it's something that, um, I mean, it, it, it really, it's not, they're not big fish too. That's one thing that a lot of guys, well, I don't want to go, to go up there and do, go through all this work and trouble to, uh, cause it can be a process, especially if you got snow, it's going to be difficult to get in there. You might have to pack in, might have to drag a sled in, or you can use snow machines if, if the, those conditions uh, provide themselves well. But I, to me, the beauty of, of the fish and just being able to, to look at that and then enjoy that catch I'm right there with you guys. It's it's a really tremendous feeling. Very very cool. Okay, Matt, you're gonna have to uh, you're gonna have to break down here because we're gonna we're gonna keep pushing it. We need to know we need to know names. We need to know where on the map these things are. We need to know like Anthony are sit- and I are sitting here just thinking, man, we get we got to get ourselves a trip out there and and catch some of those those grayling, those tiger trout, some of the other trout species you mentioned. Uh, this just sounds absolutely awesome. So give us, just give us a, a few of your favorites, maybe uh, looking at it that way, just a few of your favorite bodies of water that you might recommend if someone listening to Shack Talk was, you know, thinking about doing a destination trip, or maybe they have family out in that Denver, Colorado area, and, and they want to make an ice fishing excursion part of that uh, next family visit. Where, where would they, uh, where would they go? One of my, I mean, my absolute favorite place to, to go target these, these fish. Um, and, and in the, if the conditions line up and you can get up there and catch them through that, because you can do it through this all summer. You can come up here, catch them on the fly rod and catch them with this, with spinning tackle, but ice fishing, if you can line it up, right. It's uh Joe Wright reservoir. And this reservoir is very, very unique because it sits up on top Cameron pass. Now Cameron pass, if, if you're, uh, have you guys ever heard of Trail Ridge Road just out, just outside of Granby or outside of Rocky Mountain National Park? It's a very famous drive, very famous road. This, uh, this Cameron Pass is just north of this road as a crow flies. So it sits up top 10,000 10, plus feet. This reservoir sits just below that. So you get the beauty of sitting on top of a, of a, of a piece, on top of a pass, and then you also get the the fish and the fishing opportunity that's there. It's a 150 acre lake. And, and like I said, like I mentioned before, it's not that far from Denver. It's not that far from Fort Collins, which is right off of I-25. Basically you go up I-25 from Denver and then you just take a left on the highway 14. You get us 287 14. And then you go up, uh, catch another highway to get you to highway 14. It's really two lefts. And you've got 55 miles and you're at this lake. And the biggest thing about this lake that makes it difficult for later in the year is you can't, you can't access this lake past January 1st. So you have to get to it at that certain time frame. And if you can get there, uh, what, what you run into, the reason why they close it is because there's a lot of snow up there and it can become very difficult to, to access the park or access the lake. And getting in that time frame between, I would say we got a good time frame between now and uh, that first two weeks of December, before we get a lot of snow, even I'm hoping the snowstorm we got coming now is not that bad and doesn't put a lot of uh, damper on it. But if you can get up there, it's gorgeous. It's great. And uh, one thing here, one caveat here is artificial flies and lures only. So it is one of those lakes that's going to test your ice fishing abilities. Ice fishing is the ultimate finesse sport, right? We always talk about that. This is one of those lakes where you got to downsize very, very a, a lot. I mean, before we got the, um, uh, the, the, we, we were just using the lead head and, and, and we didn't get into the, to the other um, jig heads or smaller jig heads. I mean, we, we, it was very difficult, but a small, small jig head, maybe a small tube head, a tube jig head on that, maybe something like that. I mean, there's, there's a lot of options that I like to use up there, but it's really, really downsized and it tests your skills as an angler for sure. Are there good resources for knowing maybe some of these special restrictions for these lakes or, you know, good resources to use? I mean, for somebody that's coming maybe to do a destination trip, um, whether that's a guy at a resort or someone that you would point them in the direction. I know around here I'm always using, you know, the the conservation websites and different things to find out all those information. But is there any what would you give as some advice to somebody maybe coming out for for a trip out there? I would, I would say uh, uh, type in Colorado Parks and Wildlife and then access and then type in Joe Wright, and it'll bring, up, uh, it'll bring up all the information you need as far as fish surveys, management data, stuff like that. 
Um, if you want to access Joe Wright in particular, I would I would go to, to U.S. Parks, uh, uh, U.S. State Forest, and then look it up through there, or Google Joe Wright Reservoir. It'll bring it up. Or if you're an app person, if you like to download apps, call it a Parks and Wildlife has a great fishing app, and uh, you can find that in the App Store. Just type in a CPW fishing app, and it'll bring it up. You type in Joe Wright or whatever destination or, or whatever fish you're looking for. If you want to look for grayling, type in grayling. It'll bring up Joe Wright. It'll list everything that you all the do's and don'ts and things to remember on that uh, on that app app right there. That's fantastic advice. And uh, as Anthony said earlier, you know that the technology is there, and sometimes we're spoiled, but sometimes we don't know what component in that technology, you know, what app, what specific website to go to, and that really helps point folks in the right direction. Matt, any any other thoughts uh, on fishing the high country there through the ice? Any other bodies of water or special? Uh, equipment or preparation ahead of time that folks need to do if they're thinking of making a trip your direction? Uh, I, I would I would look, look into it and I would prepare for if, if you're heading out here and, and this is with anything with anything with ice fishing whether we're just going outside I mean prepare to for the worst weather that there is uh, with these situations when you're going into these high elevation lakes you're packing really light um, there's a lot of places where you're walking uphill most of the time, so it's going to be hard to pull a sled. So you can't really pull, um, you can't really bring a shack. You can't really bring, and it might be tough to put that, that, uh, that 949 on, on your shoulders and, and hike it in there. It could be tough. I've done it, but it's tough. So I've really, I, I love the, the, the suits that, that, that we have now and the, the technology that, that we have, that the, the ever growing technologies, I'm trying to say, with these ice suits and it makes it even even that we don't even need a hut anymore we don't even need a shack we don't even need anything if we have these suits it gets really windy up there um i'm excited with i got these legend bibs i'm excited to give those a try um and i i know i'm going to be good up there when that wind gets blowing and i can just cuddle up in these bibs i another piece of technology that i am happy that i am an owner of that i have investment in so uh those are always good and then i i would Get, get really, really friendly with the spud bar. Uh, those are going to be your best friends up there, especially if you're getting in those early ice situations. You don't really need even a hand auger. That spud bar will do you just will do the trick just fine. So I would go as simple as I can, go as light as I can, if you're going to be making these uh, these high mountain fishing trips. That is fantastic. Uh, great, great advice. I'm ready to pack my bag and go right now. Yeah, when are we? Let's leaving? go. Yeah. <laughs> 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 hey, uh, Matt, it, it's been great having you on Shack Talk here, and I, I appreciate all of your expertise. And, and you know, a, a destination that may not be first and foremost in a lot of individuals' mind when they think about ice fishing, it sounds like you've got an incredible amount to offer in terms of a destination and maybe even tagging along on a on a family trip, a desti- uh, you know, a, a, a holiday trip, whatever it might be to, to folks in your family there out at the Denver area and, and being able to make some pretty incredible memories uh, with a with a short run up to one of these reservoirs and these high mountain lakes up there. That's super, super cool. If folks have questions, if they want to listen to your outdoor ed podcast, where can they where can they find you and where can they find information on how to get a hold of you? Uh, look me up on the, all the, the social media platforms. Um, uh, find me on Facebook. Just search my name. Uh, and if you want to ask me a question there, or you want to more information about this, you can find me there uh, on the social media platforms, um, Instagram, it's going to be outdoor underscore ed. And, uh, you can find me there. All the, the podcasts you can find on all the places where you listen, uh, iTunes, uh, Stitcher. Um, what's the other one, uh, Spotify. And then on, on Google play, you can, you can find me on there and just go and, and download and subscribe it. Uh, if you haven't already, and um and and like and share the podcast and give me a rate it, it helps out when you rate it and sharing is caring always so uh but yeah that's probably where, where you can find it and like i said it, here in about two weeks that podcast is going to re uh relaunch like i said i had some technical difficulties but I, i'm pretty sure i got the bugs figured out i hope so we'll be back that's awesome matt thank you very much for joining us we appreciate it thanks guys have a have a good season this year we definitely will do that And we're just getting started here, Anthony. So uh, stick around, folks. We're going to take a really quick break. We're going to be back, and we're going to talk a little bit about one of our favorite topics, and that is uh, preparing food 
out on the ice while we're fishing. So uh, we'll be right back with more Shack Talk. Welcome back to Shack Talk. This is our second episode, and uh, it's going to be a tough one to follow up after that conversation with Matt. Uh, I don't know about you, Anthony, but I am just itching to get out to the Rocky Mountains, Colorado in particular, based on what he said and what he was sharing with us, and uh, and get out into those some of those high-altitude destinations. Yeah, it's definitely on my bucket list as well. Um, you hear about all the trips that guys take out there and, and target some of those unique species, the, the trout opportunities and, you know, just the early ice opportunities of getting out there. It's something that I would really like to try. I mean, I love the outdoors and the scenery and I, I can't imagine a better backdrop to a a day on the ice. It would be absolutely amazing, but we got to move on. We're going to move on to our next topic, which, uh, which is, it's just going to be you and I talking here, Anthony, and, and that's okay. Uh, it's really something that I think both you and I have a lot of passion for, as do many of our listeners. And that is uh, while we're out on the ice, while we are out enjoying ourselves on the ice and, and these excursions, um, what are we eating? Right? Because you got to eat, you got to have food, you got to, you, and that's part of the experience, isn't it? Uh, especially for a lot of us um, planning that meal out on the ice if we're with friends or with a group. Uh, sometimes it's just a matter of a sandwich you throw in the cooler. I, I get that. There's a lot of times when that's the the scenario and, and you're more focused on fishing than you are really eating. And it's just to, to have something to fill your stomach. But there are those times and maybe it's a weekend out when you have a hard house and you're, you're camping, you're staying out on the, on the ice for the entire weekend. Um, maybe it's, you're out with a group of buddies and you're, you're pretty stationary on where you're fishing and and you're going to prepare a, a lunch or a meal for everybody in the group, and, and you want to make it kind of fun. Those are the times. And, and I can think of those memories, so many different occasions, when we were able to cook something out on the ice, and you get everybody gathered around, and, and pretty soon people are telling stories and talking, and it just kind of lends to the whole uh, uh, atmosphere of, of having those friends out with you. Yeah, and a little planning goes a long way. It doesn't have to be complicated. And a little prep work that you can do ahead of time, really makes for an enjoyable day on the water. I mean, there's nothing that beats a hot, fresh meal out on the ice, whether you're cooking up some fish that you just caught or you planned another meal that you're bringing out there. I mean, the smell of a a fresh brat grilling, I mean, does it get any better than that out on the ice? It doesn't. It doesn't. And and a lot of times for me, it's it's a hot dog on the Mr. Heater, Mr. Cooker. But, you know, the brats... Um, and, and you and I, we've had the chance to head on out over to uh, Cumberland, Wisconsin, Louis Meats, right? And, and I know when I'm in Cumberland, and Cumberland, by the way, is the, the headquarters, the world headquarters of, of Eskimo ice fishing gear and ion electric augers. And, and they have that little, that little store right there in town, Louis Meats. And I always, and I fill up a great big one of the, the totes you like you carry around if you head into to Walmart or Target the hand tote. Uh, sometimes even a cart, but but fill it up with the brats and the 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 meat and the sausage and and the cheese there, and inevitably some of that makes its way out onto the ice during the course of the winter. It's hard to beat the variety that they have there. I mean, they've had such great, you know, unique brats that you can try. You know, the black and blues and the you know the crazy wild rices or the cheeses, and I mean, having a nice warm meal out on the ice. I mean. I'm sure there's been a lot of times where we've spent the day out on the ice and, you know, the morning's usually good. That's your peak fishing time. And it, you know, starts to drag on a little bit. Maybe it's been a long trip and you've done three, four days back to back and, you know, that warm meal at about noon. I mean, that really can, can make or break a day and, you know, really give you the energy to finish out the day on the ice. It it does. And you're right. You've got, you've got your peaks, your, your dusk and dawn. You've got your of course, I know you watch, I watch too, the, the lunar peaks during the course of the day, and, and you've got those ups and downs, but inevitably there is that time. There's a time during the day when things are at a lull, and you want to you wanna just restock the, the stomach there and, and get loaded up. What is in your cooking kit on the ice, Anthony? Do you, do you typically bring a certain amount of, of cooking uh, utility equipment and stuff with you whenever you go, or you, is it just based on what you plan to cook for that day? 
yeah, I really try to plan ahead. I try to pack as light as I can. Um, if I know that I'm going to be cooking out on the ice, I mean, it's hard to beat, uh, you know, just even a little Mr. Heater cooker um, versus, you know, maybe one of the stand-up buddy heaters. You can flip it on its side and it doubles as a, as a burner for, for cooking on. Um, but just, you know, having some of the basic utensils even, um, you know, I usually carry a Leatherman. Um, it's doubled as a, a knife, a fork, and a spoon, I'm sure, at some point. And uh, more often than I care to uh, I'm pretty admit sh- to. It. I'm pretty sure I've stirred a chili with, a, you know, the back end of a scooper before on the ice. And so you kind of make do with what you have. But, you know, a little prep goes a long way. But I think just keeping it as simple as you can, you know, you don't need to drag everything with and, you know, bring some tinfoil along and it saves on the cleanup. You wrap it up when you're done, um, whether you're going to grill or, you know, cook some brats, you know, everybody hates when you get a big flare up on the grill, but if you throw it on some tinfoil first, you don't even have to worry about the grease. And, you know, if you roll up enough tinfoil, you can make about any utensil you need. You're right. You're right about that. Hey, Anthony, one of my favorites was, uh, and I picked one of these up a couple of years ago down at the St. Paul Ice Show. It's a little, yeah, I don't even know the name of it, but it's it's a little shelf that fits on your buddy heater that you can cook on. And it clips right in. They were selling them 20, 30 bucks, I'm thinking was the cost, right? And, and I picked one of them up and I use it all the time. And just what you had described there, you wrap the... And, and this is for the quick on the on the on the go type of meals, but uh, you wrap the the grilled cheese, the cheese sandwich in aluminum foil or the ham and cheese or whatever it is, and and you just throw the whole thing in the aluminum foil right on top of that. Let her you know flip it over once or twice. Let her go for for ten fifteen minutes or so, and uh, boom, you've got a nice hot meal. And that little shelf and it it doesn't take up any room. That's been one of my favorites. Yeah, I think there's a lot of hacks. I mean, you look around online, and I think I've seen guys taking, like, there's a little screen that you can put in a a paint roller pan to help get the paint off, and you just grab one of those at one of your hardware stores for a couple of bucks even, and they've I've seen them where they just attach that on top of their buddy heater. I mean, if all else fails, you can wrap a sandwich or a hot dog and just set it on top of the buddy heater. I mean, you've, I'm sure we've all done it without the little shelf too, or a, a can of soup, or it just seems like that warm meal can really, I don't know, just give you that added energy, especially when it gets to that slower point in the day. And everybody knows when you start cooking, that's when the fish start biting. Yeah, of course, of course, always. And, you know, you've got your little staples to bridge yourself for the rest of the day. At least I do. I mean, I always have a pocket full of those little fun-sized candy bars. And trail mix and jerky. I mean. Right. Good, healthy, good stuff. Yeah. Anything you can get at a convenience store, right? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Okay. So, uh, Anthony, do you have, we talked a little bit about Mr. Heater, Mr. Cooker, the body heaters and stuff like that. But, you know, there's times and, and especially kind of going back to laying that scenario out. If you're out in a hard house, you're in a wheelhouse for the weekend, bring it along a grill can oftentimes really expand your ability to cook different meals and diversify. And that's one of the things that I enjoy doing. And, you know, some we've got the little portable propane grills with the one-pound cylinders. They're great options. Uh, some people even bring charcoal right on out. And if they've got the time and and, and they, they fire up a, a charcoal grill and, and make that work. One of my favorites recently, I've got a little uh, Davy Crockett, Green Mountain Davy Crockett. So it's a pellet grill. And it it actually comes with an adapter to clip onto. You can run it off of a Vexilar battery, or hook it onto your snowmobile or your truck or something, right? And and off a little outlet, and you've got everything there from a smoker uh, to a grill, portable and right out on the ice. And boy, oh boy, can you cook some cool stuff with that? So what what are you cooking on our next trip then? So we're doing up some ribs or some steaks or something when we're done for the day. Everything tastes better on a pellet grill. I'll just tell you that right off the bat, and. Uh, you know, not too long ago down at deer camp, I had I put my tag on my deer with, with my archery tag the, the week before, and when all my buddies came down, my my deer stand was flooded out. And so instead of kind of infringing on some of the other guys' areas, um, I did something I've never done. I didn't go out on opening morning and I, of gun season, and I, I stayed at camp, and I, I put a brisket on the pellet grill and cooked a brisket and smoked it all day. And I couldn't help but think all day long, a guy could do this out on the ice. You could do this just about anywhere, really. And and your potential, whether you like that propane grill or whether it's a charcoal grill or whether it's a pellet grill, whatever it is, right? We all have different preferences, but the sky's the limit. 
yeah, when you have all day to to fish and you know babysit a brisket or you know pork butt on the on the smoker, I mean, a lot of times that's what holds people back from doing those things is they don't want to sit and keep an eye on it all day. Well, if you're sitting there watching a hole and a and a brisket, I mean, does, right, it, or, does it get any better than that? No, no, it doesn't. And, and you know, you think about what if I'm tip up fishing, right? So I'm going to set this whole big ring of tip ups, and I'm going to sit and and you can watch. And maybe you just put a pot of chili on and you let that warm up. But you're doing the multiple things at one time. You're being able to cook. You're being able to fish. You're doing it all. You're socializing, having a good time. And uh, it just kind of goes to the – it builds in, in the atmosphere. Yeah, it makes everybody's day a little bit brighter when you have that meal on the ice. I mean, especially if you've got the family out there or, you know, a group of hungry buddies. I mean, nobody's going to turn down hot food. I don't care what it is. I mean, it's going to get it's gonna get eaten. Um, you know, and one of my favorite – ice meals um, for keeping it simple is, you know, if you're catching some fresh fish, um, nothing is better than taking it out of the water, cooking it fresh out on the ice. Um, I think it's really key to keep it simple. I like to bring some tinfoil. I mean, like we mentioned, tinfoil can be your best friend and, you know, just some lemon, maybe a little butter and some lemon pepper. And I mean, it doesn't get any simpler than that. That sounds absolutely delicious. And of course that, you know, we have to also mention that the the asterisk by that, right, Anthony, that uh, when you take fish out on the ice, when you clean them, when you when you eat them and consume them, they do still remain as part of your daily limit. Yeah, so make sure you're being conscious of your, you know, your regs that you're on for the lake that you're on. It counts towards your daily. Um, you know, it's obviously a little bit easier if you're not on a lake with length restrictions or anything like that where you have to keep the carcass whole. I typically will try and do it on maybe some, some panfish or something where they're usually a little bit easier on the regulations, but you know, make sure to keep that in mind. If you do that, um, you know, throw the the evidence and the entrails and everything into a bucket and make sure that you're taking that off the ice with you and, and be conscious. I mean, anytime you're cooking on the ice of, of leaving a mess, I mean, whether you're grilling or, you know, cooking things, I mean, try and leave it the way you found it. You wouldn't want somebody going out to your favorite fishing spot and leaving a big mess. Um, and I know, you know, deep frying out on the ice is something that a lot of people like to do too. And, and it's not hard to do. Um, it feeds a lot of people, um, but you got the grease and the oil. So just make sure you're being prepared for that when you're, when you're out on the ice. What are some tips, Anthony, that you could give to listeners here at Shack Talk uh, in terms of preparing fish out on the ice? If they want to do that, if they want to have a meal of fresh fish and, and the law allows them and affords them the opportunity to do that on the lake that they're on, um, give us just a couple of tips. I would say have a small fillet board, um, something that's easy. You don't obviously, you can kind of double anything into a fillet board. I'm, I'm pretty sure I've filleted on a hard-sided ice rod case before or the, the top of a lid of a bucket. But, you know, if you have a little fillet board that you like, obviously having a, a nice sharp knife makes the, the job a lot quicker. Um, but just be prepared for that. And then, you know, have something to rinse the fillets off and make sure that they're clean. I mean, having something to scoop water out of a hole. I don't know how many times I've found myself that having, whether that's an empty pop bottle or Gatorade bottle, being able to get water out of a hole, it may sound simple, but just having that device to be able to wash your hands, wash the food, rinse things off, rinse off utensils before you're putting them away, having that utensil to get water out of a hole can be can be a lifesaver. Yeah, it, sure, it certainly can. And, and a couple of paper towels or just a, just a roll of extra um, wipes to clean up things afterwards. So it's not quite as bad when you get back home in terms of cleanup. That's, that's a good thing too, isn't it? Yeah. And I mean, there's a lot of just simple things like we mentioned, just being prepared for that and, and knowing what you're, what you're getting into. But um, any favorite on ice meals that, that you've had in the past? I tell you what, Anthony, you mentioned frying fish on the ice. And I think that's really kind of the epitome of of having a meal out while you're ice fishing, right? And, and um, you know, one of the things that I've loved doing over the years, and, and this was something that, uh, you know, a friend of both of ours, Scott Brewer, was, was the one who introduced to me, and that is a walleye stir-fry recipe, okay? And it doesn't have to be walleye. It could be, it could be really any fish that you're deep frying out in, um, in the wild, on shore, shore lunch, wherever you're, you're going to be. And, and it really is pretty easy. So the night before you just, uh, chop up some stir fry vegetables, you know, broccoli, snap peas, carrots, water, chestnuts, and the like, just whatever you have, a uh, 
a, a preference that that's your favorite for those vegetables. So stick them up in a uh, a nice Ziploc bag. You're talking a little too healthy with these vegetables. I mean, that is that in the staple diet of a nice fisherman? Just wait, just wait, because we're we're not we're not done yet. So you deep fry your fish, right? You you take your fish and set them to the side for just a little bit. And, uh, and you throw those vegetables in some oil, some butter, and you, you saute them just enough to soften them up a, a, a small amount. And then what you do is you, you bring along a bottle or two of, of just sweet and sour sauce. And you fold those pieces of fish filet back into the sauteed vegetables and, and cover them in that sweet and sour sauce. Scoop them up on a paper plate and, and just start handing them out and be ready for guys and gals to come back for seconds. Yeah, that sounds pretty amazing, and I know I've seen pictures of you guys doing that meal, whether that's out on the ice or on a on an onshore event. But man, I I'm getting pretty hungry. We probably you know shouldn't be talking about this. I haven't had <laughs> supper yet, so I mean we're over here with our our stomachs grumbling. But I think that's a really great idea, and goes to the fact that a little prep goes a long way. You know, cutting up things ahead of time, putting it in a Ziploc bag, or you know avoiding any of those extra you know, containers out on the ice and plastic and different things. I mean, Ziploc bags can really be a great tool or a utensil. They're able to kind of slide into the cooler and don't have to fit into a specific spot when you're transporting them because we all know if you're going more than a little ways and you're not in your vehicle, whether that's on an ATV or snowmobile, that things in your cooler can end up in quite the mess if you if you don't prepare or pack appropriately. No, you're exactly right about that, Anthony. You're totally right about that. And I want to just throw out another dimension here before we wrap up this segment. And that is if you're listening to the podcast and maybe you're uh, you're one of those people who's really talented as as someone for preparing food and as a cook, um, we've got a good buddy who is just fantastic. And he comes with us up to Lake Winnipeg every March. We have a, an FM Walleyes Unlimited club trip. We take about 150 folks up there. And, and Todd... He'll, he comes right out and he, and he says it every year. He goes, I'm going to be in charge of cooking. He brings all the utensils, all of the, the preparatory stuff. He, he makes the, the meals ahead of time as much as he can. And, and we all throw in some side dishes or cookies or buns or whatever it is like that. But his, his deal is if he can tag along with us, right, and, and we can put him on good fish, as long as we keep, keep him catching fish, he's going to keep making good meals. It's the best trade-off in the world. I just absolutely love it. Yeah, you can't go wrong when you've got somebody that's willing to put in the effort to bring the food along. I know that I'm always that guy for our group. I, I get hungry. I, I've got to have my snacks. i got to have my meals. I, I can't go more than you know a few hours without having something. Um, so make sure to just keep that in mind when you're going out on the ice. It, it really can make that difference uh, when you're out there spending the entire day or even just the morning or the evening having something to eat um, can really make you enjoy your time out on the ice. Um, so I really want to encourage everybody to stick around. We're going to be coming back with our next segment, Why Do You Ice Fish? And we're going to be interviewing a guest that spends a lot of time out on the ice and maybe a little bit of time in front of the camera. So stick around, come right back, and we'll join you for the next segment. Thanks for joining us for our third and final segment of Shack Talk Podcast. And like we teased in the previous segment, we've got a really special guest lined up for this one. Someone that spends a lot of time out on the ice and on the water. And we really wanted to get into his mind on what really drives his passion. Why does he like ice fishing, even when he's maybe doing it for a a profession? So I'd like to welcome uh, Mike Olson, owner of Fish Addictions TV. Mike, welcome to Shack Talk Podcast. Thanks for having me, guys. Thanks for having me. So we were talking a little bit before we, we got on the, the record here, and you guys just got off the ice today? Yes, yeah. We were out uh, snooping around and seeing what the ice conditions were and caught a few fish. Well, that's exciting. We're uh, Kyle and I have both been talking about we're pretty jealous of everybody that's been out on the early ice already this season and kind of just itching. I know a lot of people that are probably listening are also in the same boat itching to get on the ice, but 
when you're out on the ice and you're and you're not filming or you know deciding to go out fishing what what is your drive to go back out fishing i mean i know you spend a lot of time out on the ice but why do you like to ice fish maybe when it's not part of something that you're doing regularly uh, i think it really boils down to learning for for me it's it's all about a chance to learn something new try something new fish with new people uh, you know, the ice fishing itself is, is a really special thing to me as growing up in the outdoors in general. Ice fishing was a way of life for us to stay active in the outdoors during the winter months and just kind of, you know, fueling that, that sense of wanting to learn something, try new techniques, try different areas. Uh, I, I think that's what keeps it really exciting for me. And you talked about fishing with new people and, and doing different things. Have you... Have you had a lot of experience or what's kind of one of those things that, I mean, I've been out on the ice with you and it seems like every time we go somewhere, we're bumping into a fan or we're bumping into other people that are just as passionate about ice fishing. Anything that sticks out in your mind with your time spent out on the ice? I think it's really fun to, to like you said, bump into people and, and hear about the, maybe the impact that uh, we've had at fish addictions or, or something we've said or something we've done that impacts the way they fish or, or impacts the amount of time they spend on the water or just simply impacts their success on the water. I think that's really cool because that's really what we set out to do right away from the get-go is really just get new people involved, get young people involved, uh, just share our story. And, and when, you're, when you're out there and, and doing what you love and, and interacting with people doing what they love, and hearing that you had some kind of impact on what they're doing is, it's priceless. And Mike, I have no doubt that you could rattle off an unlimited number of stories where you've had that kind of impact on folks, where they've looked up to you and and they've they've used that to fuel their own passion for the sport and and getting out and doing it as as they love and. Quite honestly, so many people see you on television, they see you on YouTube, they see you on social media. What what I, what I think a lot of people don't know is what's the backstory to that? What led up to Fish Addictions TV? Because you didn't just walk into a room one day, turn the light switch on, and boom, you were uh, recognizable as an, as an ice fishing personality. You put a lot of time and a lot of effort and a lot of work into that. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't know if there's a lot of, depending on your age class, if you remember the forms that used to be all over the internet, Fishing Buddy, uh, Nodak Outdoors, different things like that where people were on the internet sharing their stories, reports, and that kind of stuff. And, and Fish Addictions didn't start out as like filming. Fish Addictions started out as uh, I wanted to build a community where there was no negativity. I mean, the social media and the interwebs are, are something that's a fantastic tool for us fishermen to use, but they can also go in a different direction. And that's kind of what happened. And I wanted to create a community that was positive that, you know, we pat each other on the backs and not rip each other down. And it kind of just formed, and we've kept that philosophy all the way through from day one to where we are today. And I think really that's that's what has catapulted us to where we are today. And, and I, I can tell you, you guys talk about people seeing you on the ice and recognize you. That's like the craziest thing to me still, five, six, seven years later, like why you know i i just love to fish and i'm so blessed to have the opportunity to share our experiences our whole staff and and everybody that's involved with fish addiction to share our experiences with everybody uh day in and day out through the good and the bad times and and it, it really just it all comes down to creating a community where we're positive where we can show people uh positive experiences and and the real the real life behind fishing you know i i think our show is a little bit different because we show we show people what's behind the 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 filming the tv show as well as what's what goes into you know the everyday part of what we do you know mike that's uh that's some great insight and uh, i'm gonna ask you to bear your soul just a little bit more here because you, you hear it within the industry when fishing a passion a hobby that we love becomes a job and it becomes work 
um, all of a sudden there's there's a different level of stressors. There's a different level of expectations and deadlines that have to be met. Are there are there any days when when those extra stressors and and deadlines and and things that you have to carry as as the owner are there any days when that takes away from your passion of of out being out ice fishing? I mean, I would lie if I said there wasn't, but it's those moments like we had today on the ice where somebody comes up and says something to you, and the hair stands up on the back of your of your neck, and it it makes it all worth it again, you know. There's, there's always going to be trying times because it is, it's become more than just going out and having fun with your buddies on the ice. Uh, it's, it's become, like you said, deadlines and, and financial commitments and that kind of stuff that sure are very stressful. Uh, but it, it's, it's when your goal that you set out for in the beginning, when someone comes up to you and, and says you've made a difference or, or you've, help them make it take a step or, or any of those things, or you're in a store or at an ice show and some kid comes up and, and loves your show and and young kids, old kids, you know, I mean, all ages, that's where it's worth it. You know, it it validates everything you do and all the hard you work. Uh, We were, the guys were just giving me a hard time today. I've got a pickup that's a year and a half old and I'm looking at it right now and I got 79,000 miles on it and a good, portion of that is traveling the midwest filming fish addiction tv so we're putting a lot of a lot of windshield time a lot of leg work and a lot of everything into this and just simple things like love your show is is something that uh makes it all worth it and i know both kyle and i have talked about this before but you know there's something special about ice fishing being able to approach people on the ice and and have those interactions when you're out on the ice that you can't experience in the open water and for anybody that's listening if you see somebody that you know or recognize you know don't be intimidated go talk to them you know even if it's a complete stranger talk to those guys that are out fishing you might form a new friendship and and create that camaraderie and I know that's what we really preach on the show is sharing those memories and informing those relationships out on the ice, but don't be afraid to approach people. I've, I've met some really great people and I'm, sh- I'm sure you have as well, just walking up and asking people how they're doing fishing. Absolutely. And it's, it's something really cool about the ice fishing community. You know, I, like we just said, you know, it's like, it's those moments where somebody comes up and, and says they love the show or, Hey, this is my favorite episode or, or, what do you think about this product? You know, whatever, uh, that, that makes it all worth it. Uh, I've had a lot of people have those awkward moments a hundred yards away from each other on the ice while we're filming and really come over and say, hi. I mean, that's what we would love to have you come over and say, hi, ask the questions that you'd love to ask and, and get the answers. And, and, uh, again, that's what makes it so worth doing what we do is just, I, I can't believe it every single day I wake up and, and, I get to live out my childhood dream. I mean, this was my childhood dream. I, I love playing sports. I love doing that stuff, but I really, really wanted to do what I'm doing now. And, and I, I, I have to pinch myself. And, and I know a lot of the guys on the staff, we talk about it all the time that we just, we can't believe, you know, the, the outpouring of, of uh, support that we get from everybody and uh, live your dream. I mean, ice fishing is, is what I would say the biggest sport where you can have camaraderie. You can only get four or five guys in a boat. If you want to go out with 10 guys on the ice, you can get out there. If you want to work as a team, you know, a lot of people don't, don't really realize ice fishing is a team sport when you're out there drilling holes, finding fish, calling fish out. And with, uh, with all the gadgets and technology we have today, it's really become more of a team sport than it ever has been. Exactly. And I think, I would ask you too to attest to this, but some of my favorite memories with fish addictions out on the ice is when we have those big groups. Yeah, it's fun when we have a small group and we head to a destination, but man, some of those episodes where we've got 10, 12 guys and we get into a bite, I mean, it's hard to compete with a day on the ice like that. Yeah, it gets pretty chaotic out there because we're all doing our thing and there's and the, I, I sometimes I wonder how the ice is even safe when we leave with how many holes are sitting around us. But yeah, there's so much. It's so much fun. That's what it's all about. It's always about the camaraderie. It's always about having that next story. 
uh, and, and about getting the next generation out there. And, and yeah, I mean, big groups, small groups, we're all having fun. Mike, I know everybody that's listening, hopefully they've heard of Fish Addictions and, and the show, but if they want to get a hold of you, is there a certain best way to get a hold of you? Is that on social media or what's the best approach to uh, contact you? If they have any questions about ice fishing, the show, you know, what we're up to next, how can they get a hold of you? Yeah, I would say the best way to get a hold of us is through our Facebook or Instagram. Uh, we check that regularly. Uh, and usually if you ask a question, you get answered pretty quickly. And it, and normally it's me answering you. It's not somebody else. And, and yeah, you want to you wanna get a hold of us somehow, some way, that's the best way. And I know we've got some shows coming up and different things. Is there a, a good place for people to interact with us? I mean, where are we going next? I mean, I know sometimes we don't know when we're going to a lake till tomorrow, but is there right. an opportunity for the fans to get out and, you know, meet us in person? Oh, I would say, you know, the ice shows are coming up. St. Paul ice show, Fargo ice show, we will definitely be there. And uh, we there is one awesome opportunity that Eskimo has given us, which we're giving away a dream trip. So, you can go to Eskimo.com and sign up for that dream trip to fish with us in Devil's Lake at some point this winter. I think it'd be two days fishing, and uh, we're filming an episode with us. So you get to see everything that goes on, which I think is a pretty cool opportunity. And I want to thank Eskimo for stepping up to the plate there and, and offering that prize, which uh, I think gives gives people the absolute, uh, just a crazy experience to really understand how an ice fishing show gets made. And, and what all goes into it. We've done this once before, and it was it was a really cool experience, and we're excited to do it again. And not only that, they're going to get geared up from Eskimo with a suit, a shack, a pistol bit, and we're going to have some other uh, prizes for those runners-up that don't get drawn for the grand prize. But I think that's a great giveaway. Um, thanks, Mike. I really appreciate you taking the time to talk with both Kyle and I. I know we've shared a lot of stories, but sharing those with our listeners, it's been a, a great segment, and we really appreciate you being on the show. I'd like to thank Eskimo again for uh, sponsoring the Shack Talk podcast. Reach out to Kyle or myself. Um, Kyle can be reached at Brewer Agri Outdoors or any of his social media pages. Myself, um, same. Reach out to us. Follow us on Fish Addictions. Uh, Fish Addictions TV on Facebook and YouTube, um, and look for the upcoming season on FSN that's going to be coming up soon. So until next time, be safe and get out fishing. <laughs>